Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We want to take some time and talk about a topic that we were talking about several weeks ago. I want to continue on. I feel very strongly about this topic because I see many Christians near the trap that says we just need to all live together um, in Christendom even. In other words, no, there's no difference between you and I. Well, um, in other words, I can go to any church and worship and feel comfortable. That's not necessarily true. And I want to tell you the things that makes a good meal is the flavor. And God has put a distinct flavor in the church. You know, if the salt has lost its, its savor, what, what good is it anymore? Well, the salt of the church, the thing that just sets it off from any other thing that's going on in this country or the world is the name of Jesus and the oneness of God. And there will be people, even among the religious, that will per- persecute us for our stand on the name and on the deity of Jesus. The Bible says that we should be well prepared for the answer that's within us. So tonight, if you want to just have a seat, uh, rest your weary bones. I, I wanted to read something, and this was a last minute thing, so you have to forgive me, so it's on my phone. What is a major difference between many religious organizations and, and the church is what they call the Trinity. And you may know the definition of Trinity, so let me just repeat it to you as a, a refresher. I'm reading from the Oxford uh, Dictionary of Languages, and it says, Trinity, the Christian Godhead, is one God in three persons a person of the Father, a person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to the next statement. It says, a group of three people or things, noun trinity. So when the church, quote-unquote, of the world talks about the trinity, they're not talking about just one entity. They're talking about three separate things brought into a unit. Well, I, in many places, we'd call that a small group. But um, tonight, I, we talked about the Godhead last week. I'm going to start out with Jesus tonight. And uh, I, I actually am very proud when people say, you're, just, you're the people of the name. I told you about that incident that I had down by Rainbow Springs. Oh, I know who you are, they said to me. You're one of those people of the name, or you're Jesus only. And I said, I said to myself, that is a really great compliment, but remember what I, how I answered her? I said, that's not really correct, though. I'm not Jesus only. I'm Jesus Everything. That's why the Bible says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. So tonight, I'm going to start with, and the nice thing about our screen is, poor Sister Hickey, when I gave her all these scriptures, she must have said, oh my. But now we have a screen, we can go really quick. Well, where did the name of Jesus originate? It wasn't Mary's idea to call her son Jesus? No, the angel Gabriel revealed the name of the anointed one to Mary and said, this is what you're going to call him. So it wasn't a man-given name. It was a God-given name to a man. Matthew 121, and she shall bring forth a child, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now that name, Jesus, if we go back into the Old Testament, is pronounced Jehoshua or Yeshua. Now in the Greek, it's called Jesus, I-E-S-O-U-S. And then in English, it's pronounced Jesus. Uh, Some people feel more comfortable using the Hebrew word. 
they say, well, I worship Yeshua. Or another group will say, Jesus. But we choose to call him by his English name, which is Jesus. Now, that name in Hebrew, translated to Greek and then English, means Jehovah has become our salvation. So, and I'm going to say this a little later on in our, our talk tonight, this name was not a new name. It was an extension of a name that was already in existence in the Old Testament. Jehovah is what they called God in the Old Testament, Y-H-V-H. Jesus is an extension of the word Jehovah with the S-U-S meaning salvation. So the God of the Old Testament that we call Jehovah is now called Jehovah Savior because now God has come to save his people from their sins. And it's, a, it's an extension of revelation. I find a lot of Christians that make this mistake, and I think they do it ignorantly. Um, they think that Jesus' last name is Christ. That's not so. You know, they'll say, I worship Jesus Christ. Like Stan Gleason or Steve Kiley. No, Christ was to identify his role. The word Christ translated in the Greek from the Greek, which is Christos, means Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. That's his title. Jesus, Jehovah, salvation, Messiah is what you're saying when you say Jesus Christ. Jehovah, salvation, Messiah. This name that we're talking about, Jesus, the name that we're called by, the name that's upon our forehead, and that'd be a topic to talk about, which identifies our ownership, is a highly exalted name. I have a problem. Um, one of the guys I, I work with in the Eagle Police Department, I'm, I'm working as a chaplain there, um, he really must love God the way he's constantly using his name. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, how, how do I handle this, Lord? So every time he says Jesus, I'm saying praise be to his name. You know what? That'll, that'll really shut down that, won't it? Oh, Jesus, praise be to his name. Well, you know, the devil doesn't want that to happen, so he'll stop that right away. But in Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 10, it says, Be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the saving name of God. Then if we jump to Philippians, the second chapter, verse 9 through 11, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. There is another name named among men upon the earth that is higher than this name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, when we say Jesus, we're actually declaring that Jehovah has become our salvation. And whatever we do, we should do it in his name. John 16, 23. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then it's mentioned by Paul in Colossians, the third chapter, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, as I was driving to church tonight, I had one of those, um, I don't know if you call it musical epiphanies, but when you get old, you'll understand. Brother Hart, I think you and I will understand this, and oh, Brother Matson, of course, will. You'll have songs come to your mind that you have not heard for 40 or 50 years. And sometimes I think God places those thoughts in our, those songs in our mind to help us remember the reason that the writer wrote it. And the song that came to my mind out of the blue was, and you'll remember this, Heaven for Me. Heaven for me. Heaven for me, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All the beauty and wonder I'm longing to see, but Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Now, that's what it's all about, friend. In anything that I'm saying tonight, it's all centered around him. The streets of gold, the gates of pearl, the eternal life, the tree of life, no more sickness, no more pain. All that stuff is just wonderful. But the most important thing has to be him. I'm not going for the, the appetizers. I'm going for the main thing. And that's why when I say what I'm going to say tonight, in every decision that we make in our life, it's got to be the, about the main thing. I don't want to go to a church that has a great healing ministry, necessarily. I don't want to go for the other condiments. I want to go to a church where the name of God is glorified, where salvation is preached, and there is a strong foundation because that is more important to me than the dishes that complement the meal. It's our source of life. Acts 4.12, we just read that. There's none other name given among men under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. And then in John 20.31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. Now, I have a lot of people, and I've been in ministry now, been saved. Wow, I was just thinking it the other day. I'm going almost on 50 years, 48, 48 years. I'm only about a year or two away from 50 years. And I, in my 50 years, I've seen a lot of people, and you have too, that said it really doesn't matter, for instance, if you use the name of Jesus in the act of baptism. Because... Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is just as good. No. It's through faith in his name that we have salvation. The name of Jesus is essential. That's why in Acts 2.38, Peter stood up among all those that were there, and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, in moving, leaving this topic and moving on, I want to leave you with the strong impression that we are the people of the name. We are the torchbearers and name bearers of the name of God. And don't ever water it down and compromise it. Because even the devils are subject to that name. Now, when we look at Jesus, he has two natures. He's fully God, and he's fully man. And this is where a lot of confusion comes from, because many people think that God could not be like the Father because he was like a man. But let's go back and see what the Scripture says. We know the Scriptures, in, like in 1 Timothy 3.16, where God was manifested in the flesh. And 
We're familiar with John and the word became flesh in John the first chapter. But let's go back and look at how Jesus himself affirms himself as the God of the Old Testament. This isn't some hypothesis, some Christian philosophy that we have. This is something that is based in the knowledge of the words of Christ. Example, John 5, verse 58 and 59. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember what Moses said, who shall I say sent me? Say, I am, that I am sent you, that's my name. Jesus was referring to himself that the name Moses used, given by God to declare the God of the Old Testament was. Jesus later declared himself to be Jehovah. Look at John 10, verse 30 to 33. Um, Jesus said, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Now these religious Jews knew exactly what he was saying. And they said, because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. And that's not necessarily true. Jesus was not a man making himself God. He was a God making himself a man. That's what really was taking place. Jehovah God had come in the flesh. God robed himself in flesh and became a man. Now, when Luke was writing in his book, there were many times that he used the word Jesus and God synonymously. Let me show you an example. He'll use God and then refer to Jesus in the same sentence as God. Luke 8, verse 38 and 39. Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God has done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. God in the first part of the sentence, Jesus in the second. They're the same. The Jehovah of the Old Testament was the Jehovah of the New Testament. Jehovah, Jehovah Savior. Now, even after the resurrection, Thomas himself does something very similar. In John 20, verse 26 to 28, then cometh Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, and that word and can be translated even, my Lord, even my God. Now, if that was wrong, Jesus should have stopped him. But he did not. He actually affirms Thomas' statement when he answers this in verse 29, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. He didn't say, Thomas, you're a little off. There's another person besides me. No, he affirms that statement and said, blessed are those that have not seen, that still believe, what you just said. What I'd like to do next 
is I like to go back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament. And I know some of you that have been through Search for Truth and you have the prophecy chart, you've done that before. But this is a good refresher. Let's go back. In the Old Testament, Jehovah is unchanging. We know that because Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, if I go to the New Testament in regard to Jesus, it says that Jesus is unchanging. Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. I go back to Jeremiah 23 and 24, and Jeremiah mentions that he's omnipresent. It says, can any man, can he hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? By the way, I want to point out the essence of God, what God really is, is a spirit. God is a spirit. And when I say that he's omnipresent, in other words, he's here in the room right now and he's over in China and Thailand and Indonesia, Malaysia, Australia. He's everywhere. He's on the other side of the galaxy. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But do you know that it refers to Jesus as omnipresent too? Because that same spirit that was in heaven is fully in Christ. Matthew 18 and 20. For wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. In other words, if you're, wherever you're at in this world at any given time, I am in the midst of you. He's omnipresent. But it also refers in Jeremiah to God being as omnipotent, all-powerful. Now, this is important because uh, it talks about this in regard to Jesus very specifically being all-powerful. Jeremiah 10 and 12, he hath made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, if you believe in three different persons, uh, I, I, I'd like you to tell, to tell you just to put the other two away because they don't have any power. Jesus said that all the power is given unto me. Now, Jesus is omniscient, which means all-knowing. Job, the 21st chapter, verse 22 Shall any, touch, shall any teach God knowledge, seeing he judges those things that are in high? Psalm 139, 1-4, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off, for there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Think of this. Try to compute this if you're a computer guy. That God knows how many six billion people alive right now, roughly, on the earth? He knows every thought and every mind at any given moment, in every mind. He's in every place and all-knowing. He hears you when you're speaking to him, just like he hears someone on the other side of the earth. He's all-knowing. Jesus is all-knowing. John 16, 30, now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee? By this we believe that thou comest forth from God. In other words, we know that you're of God because you know all things just like God knows all things. Do you remember when Jesus first started his ministry and Nathan came to him? And he said, uh, and, and look at a man in who, which there's no guile. I'm sort of ad libbing that a little bit. And he marveled that he, he knew him. He says, well, when thou wast under the tree, I saw thee there. And Nathan was, wow, how, how did you know? Because he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. Now, Jehovah is sinless. Deuteronomy 32, he's, and 4, he's the rock. 
His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Of course we know that Jesus is sinless, sinless, or he wouldn't have been allowed to hang on the cross as the perfect lamb. And you know that in John, 1 John 3, 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. There has not been another man born of a woman in time on this earth that has not sinned except for him because he was God who was sinless, born in flesh. Now Jehovah is the judge. Psalms 9, verse 7 and 8, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And then Psalms 50 and 6, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. But what is that, how does that fit in with Christ? Jesus is the judge, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone must receive the things done in his body according to that he is done, whether it is good or bad. Whose judgment seat is it? How many judges really are there? There's only one judgment, judgment seat, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. Just like there's only one throne in heaven. There's not three thrones in heaven. There's only one throne. And where would be the throne that you could build for someone that was omnipresent? Jesus has a body. Jesus' body was created. He was, the body was begotten of God. The body of Christ was not eternal. Jesus was begotten of Mary. The body had a beginning. And all that you'll ever see of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why he said, when you see me, you see the Father, Thomas. And why, so, says, why say thou unto me, show us the Father and it'll make us happy. When you see Christ, he's the manifestation of an invisible God. Now Jehovah is referred to as the first and the last. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, in Isaiah 44 and 6, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, for I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. What does it say in Revelation? I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. Well, do we have two that are first and two that are last? Or is there only one that's first and last? If you're, I remember, we got to lighten it up a little bit. When we'd play baseball, you all know how nuts my brother is about sports. And he loved baseball. When he talked about when he came to the Lord, how bad it was for him to give up sports, like baseball teams to come to church, he's not exaggerating. I watched that. That was a miracle in itself. But when I would play sports with him, when he'd allow me to play with him, I was always the last one picked. There was only one that could be picked last. Because if you were last, you were the last. And only one could be the first. Well, when I talk about Jesus being the first and the last, only one can be the first and only one can be the last. He's Alpha. He's Omega. Jehovah is the king. Psalm 24 and 10. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Well, it says in the New Testament, in John 1, 49, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Now, if that was wrong, wouldn't have Jesus said, no, I'm not the king? He acknowledges that he is the king of Israel. Jehovah's the Lord of hosts in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10 and 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, a great God. 
And then in Revelation 17 and 14, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Do you see that there's, if you try to develop a triune personage of God, you run into scriptural discrepancies everywhere. How many times in the book of Isaiah did God refer to the fact that there was none beside him? There was none. He knew not any. How there's a first and the last and only one king. That's why it's important that we never forget who we serve and who he is. And it may not mean much to you right now, but there will be a day when persecution will arise and you will need to call upon the name of the Lord and it'll be good, it'll be wise for you to know the God who you serve. Jehovah's the Holy One, Isaiah 43 and 3. For I am the Lord, thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Well, in Acts 2, it says in verse 25 to 27, For David speaketh concerning him, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Now, I know this, I'm beleaguering these points, maybe a little bit even too far, but it's good for us to be founded in the fact of the deity of Christ. Now, some may say, oh boy, come on, give it a break. It isn't going to make a hill of beans. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus said this, and I told that lady down by Rainbow Springs this. My Bible says, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. It's important to have the revelation of who he is. According to the Bible, it's essential. That's why it's important for us not to lose our flavor, our savor, because we need to point the world towards Christ and who he is. Jehovah's the Savior, Isaiah 43 and 11. I even, I am the Lord, and beside me there's no Savior. Well, we know who the Savior is in the New Testament. Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Messiah, our Lord, Messiah Adonai. God has become our Savior. It's not rocket science. It's, it's really understandable if you open your mind to it. Jehovah's the true God, Jeremiah 10 and 10. But the Lord is a true God. He's a living God and an everlasting king. Well, it refers to Jesus as the true God. 1 John 5 and 20. That we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. How many true gods do you have? Just one. I don't buy into this crazy philosophy that all the Hebrews in the Old Testament made a mistake for 4,000 years and they misjudged the Trinity. Well, Israel was deceived. They didn't understand that there were three persons. No, God instructed Israel specifically in this area in Deuteronomy, behold, there's, ah, uh, come on, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The phylacteries, and I talked about that last week, the phylacteries, you wore them on your forehead and on your wrist. They weren't in air. And you know what? If you want to see a Jew and how he looks at Christendom as a whole, he knows, in a sense, that it's, it's fantasy. He knows there's only one God. And he looks at Christians, quote-unquote, ecumenical, and said anybody that believes that God is three through the Old Testament has to be deluded. Because it's not there, and they're right. 
By the way, that's the one thing that I have in common with, with the Jews. We believe in the same God. Did I ever tell you what I did when I went on, uh, on the tour of Israel? We had a tour guide that was Jewish. And uh, you know what kind of guy I am. I am really, my brother's right. I am an antagonist. I just love to do it. And I asked the tour guide when he was on the bus, could I sing a song to you and you tell me if it's right in Hebrew? And he thought, a, a goyim that speaks Hebrew? This is going to be great. Well, I didn't know that he wasn't really practicing his Jewish faith as much as he should have been. And guess what song I sang to him? Shema Israel. And when I started to sing, sing the song, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, you should have saw his face that a Gentile would remind a Jew of who God was. That was a pretty powerful moment. He didn't embrace me and hug me. He was offended in a sense that I was reminding him of his roots. And um, maybe God used me for that moment. Jehovah will dwell among us. Zechariah 2 and 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Jesus will dwell among us. John 1 and 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I, I'll rehearse this thought with you again. If there are three co-eternal, co-equal, co-majestic gods in a trinity, how come one has a beginning? And how could a father conceive a son and both of them be equally of age? It, see, Oh, you know what happens when you get them in a corner like that? They say, but friend, you don't understand. It's a mystery. And then you know what you do. Yeah, you do it just like I would. Oh, but Paul said to Timothy, there was no more mystery. God was manifest in flesh. That's the end of the mystery. I'm going to skip along a little bit so I can finish on time. Um, Jesus, Jehovah's name is alone is excellent. Let them praise the name on Psalm 148 and 13. Let them praise the name of his glory, for the name of alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. And then again in Philippians 2 and 9, the name of Jesus is above every name. Wherefore God hath howled so highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Then we know every knee shall bow to Jehovah. Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there's none else. I've sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Well, I find in Philippians, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi in chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Jehovah's the creator. Uh, Thus saith the Lord thy redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I'm the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth thy heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. But isn't it strange that John writes that Jesus is the one that created it? He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. That spirit that dwelt God in God, Christ's body bodily was the spirit that created the earth. The difference between, and I mentioned this the last time I spoke a couple weeks ago, the difference between the spirit of Christ in us and the spirit of 
God in Christ was I'm given a portion of that power. But the fullness of God, all power dwelt in Christ bodily because he was the image of an invisible God. That's why Colossians could say that all things were created by him and for him and without anything was not Without him was not anything created. He was before all things. Because it was the spirit that was eternal that was in the body of Christ. They were one in the same. And then one more example here. Um, Jehovah is the head above all. First Chronicles 29 and 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. What does it say about Christ in Colossians 2, verse 9? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of God, the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. There's no doubt. There's, there's no room for doubt at all that Jesus is God in flesh. But we got about eight minutes left. I do want to look at not only was he fully God, which we've just established, he was also fully man. I know that from his ability to be tempted in Hebrews 4 and 15. Jesus, the Son of God, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, why is this important to me? When I come to Jesus, my mediator, between God and man, I know that he was tempted just like me in all manner. I know that he uh, had to reverence authority. He honored authority because it says that he went down with them in Luke 5, 2 and 51 and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, his parents. I know that Jesus got tired. Have you ever been so dog tired that all you want to do is just throw your carcass in bed and close your eyes, even if you're fully dressed? Have you ever been that tired that you couldn't even get in your pajamas before you went to bed? Well, he was tired just like that. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well. He grew in wisdom, just like I grew in wisdom. I don't know sometimes if I can make this statement truthfully that the older I get, the wiser I am, because sometimes I feel more foolish as I get older than I, I did when I was younger. Of course, when I was younger, I knew everything. <laughs> so did you. Maybe when you get older, you realize you don't know as much as you thought you knew. He was persecuted, just like we've been persecuted. I remember getting yelled at when I worked on the truck docks. I would drive during the day for Admiral Burgess in Milwaukee, semi, and I'd take my Bible with me, and when I was waiting to get loaded or unloaded, I'd take it out and read it. And one day I was carrying my Bible into the office at the terminal, and they just mocked me for carrying my Bible. And one guy said to me, he said, sure doesn't help you back up any better. And I says, but I can have joy while I'm doing it. I got to tell you this. Can I tell you this story? The guy's name was Bob Rockway. He was my next door neighbor, by the way. You would have thought that he was, we, I grew up with him. And he was older than me, of course. But uh, we worked together, and he used to hound me. And he used to, he was a Catholic, and I used to say, he would use the name of the Lord in vain. I thought, aren't you afraid of hurting Mary's feelings? That's her son that you're talking about. And he'd be on the dock all the time, this and that and this and that. And I said, God, how do I stop this? No, if you were a Catholic, you remember that to Catholics, Mother Mary is really important. Her, st her statue's everywhere. And one day, he was on the dock, 
and he blasphemed the name of Jesus. And I said, oh, holy Mary, mother of God. Ho, 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 ho. You just blasphemed. I said, that's my sister. He never, and he realized if he was going to do that, I'd use Mary's name, and I wasn't using it in a blasphemous way. I wanted him to know that the things that were precious to me were precious, just like there were things that were precious to him. So yeah, we all receive persecution for our faith. Um, Jesus slept just like we sleep. He slept in the hindered parts of the ship. He was hungry. Luke 4 and 2, two, and in those days he did eat nothing, and afterward he was hungry. He fasted just like we fasted. He felt thirst just like we feel thirst. John 19, 28, Jesus said, I thirst. Do you know that he even got angry? That makes me feel a whole lot better. That one hit home because I've known to have a little bit of the Irish come out. By the way, people that say that are just using that as an excuse. It says, and he had looked around about on them in Mark 3 and 5 with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Do you know that one time he got so angry that he went to the temple and he overchanged the money changers' tables? <laughs> he wasn't, he was angry. But yet he had great joy, just like we have joy. And he had sorrow, just like we have sorrow. He wept, just like I've wept. I remember Lazarus and how he, he came to the tomb and the Bible says he just wept. Two words, Jesus wept. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus' death. He was weeping for those who were grieving without, uh, without hope for Lazarus. But he restored their hope, of course. And then he died. Just like someday we're going to die unless the rapture comes. I'm, I'm really hoping that comes in the next four or five years because my odds are getting down there. <laughs> but he died. You know, but I have to say this. He, he had a benefit that I don't have. He sees on the other side of death because he came from eternity. He knows heaven. He knows, he knows what's prepared for us. He's tried to show us and actually given visions to people like Paul when he ascended into the third heaven and John who he took up into heaven and, and showed the holy city to remind us of where we're going. But see, he relates to me and I relate to him. It would be hard for me to relate to the God of the Old Testament he never got sick in the Old Testament. He never felt pain. He never got tired. He was never thirsty. He never got angry. Well, he did get angry. But he was tempted in all manner as like we are tempted, but without sin. So when we come to pray, and this is where I'm going to close, we can come to a God that knows exactly how we feel. Not only does he know our thoughts, he relates to our feelings. The thing that I felt made me a good chaplain was my empathy for the sick. But I couldn't have had the amount of empathy that I had if I'd never been sick. He empathizes with me because he's felt the same thing that I felt. And because he conquered and I have him in me. And I have, I'm, I'll say it again, right there, you can't see it. I wish you could hold up a spiritual mirror. Well, if you're baptized in Jesus' name, you got something right there. His name is on your forehead. The devil sees it. Those in the spiritual realm, that's why they know who you are. They recognize that spirit in you. They recognize the name on you. But you know, on my car, I have a license plate. 
that license plate tells everyone that that car is mine. It's registered to me. They've saw the bill of sale. Now, if I didn't have it registered, I'd have a hard time proving ownership. That's why baptism is so important because the name is applied in the act of baptism. That's why it's so important that when I go down into the water, that I'm going down in the name of Jesus because he takes that great big stamp and he puts it right on my forehead. The price is paid in full. Ah, it doesn't matter, just believe. Well, I can believe that car is mine until some I have to prove ownership. So Lord Jesus, tonight I've, I've really felt good at being able to express these things, Lord, and I, I pray that those that were here tonight were able to glean things that you wanted them to see. Lord, I love you, and you are going to be what makes heaven heaven. You're going to be what makes earth worth living for. Lord, restore joy. Restore hope. Help us to understand, Lord, that with your spirit inside of us, there isn't any mountain I can't climb, and there's no valley so deep or dark that I can't make it through, that you're my strength, our strength, and we worship you because we know who you are. Jesus, you're the God of all heaven and earth. There is not any like you. There's no name like your name. And Lord, I, as well as those that are in this room, feel honored and privileged to bear your name. You're awesome, God. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for our doubts and the things we say and the thoughts that we think. Help us to be like you, Lord. It's so hard. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.